0: From the audio archives of the Bible Study Hour, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the classic teaching of the late Dr. James
1: Montgomery Boyce. Mary is at Christ's feet, worshiping Him and learning from Him. May I suggest that if you do not know much concerning spiritual things, It's undoubtedly because you have not spent much time at the feet of Jesus. Do you want to learn from him? Do you want to grow strong in a knowledge of God's will and ways? Then you must learn from Jesus. You say, but how do I do that? Certainly I can't sit at his feet literally today. No, that is true. But you can do the same thing, in effect, through studying the Bible.
0: Author, theologian, and pastor, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce began teaching on the Bible Study Hour in 1969. He went to be with his Lord in 2000, yet his biblical insights and in-depth teaching continue to encourage, equip, and edify believers. The goal of the Bible Study Hour is to prepare Christians to think and act biblically. On this edition of the Bible Study Hour, Dr. Boyce presents the message entitled, Memorial to a Woman's Love. Has anyone tried to explain something to you that you just didn't understand? Have you gotten frustrated because you just didn't get it, and then suddenly the light went on and you understood? Jesus once told several of his followers that he was going to Jerusalem to die, but only one person, one special woman who loved Jesus, understood what he was saying. Why was Mary the only one who had such insight into the words of Christ? And how can we follow her example to gain wisdom about the things of the Lord? The scripture text for this edition of the Bible Study Hour is John chapter 12 verse 1. Here now is Dr. James Montgomery Boyce with the message entitled, Memorial to a Woman's Love.
1: Did you know that before his death, Jesus Christ told others that he was going to die, but that only one person is recorded as having understood it? That person was a woman. We're going to be studying her and her story today. This was a week which began with the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth at Bethany on his way up to Jerusalem, where he was to be crucified and which ended with the crucifixion itself on what I believe to be Thursday of the Passion Week. No other week is quite like this week, not even the other most important weeks of biblical history. Nearly one-half of John's Gospel is given over to a narration of the events of this last week and what follows it. Matthew uses two-fifths of his pages, Mark three-fifths, Luke one-third, and they're all right to do so, for the events of this week were brought on by Christ's steadfast determination to go up to Jerusalem, to die for the sin of the world, and thereby to give his life as a ransom for his people. The events of this week contain the anointing of Jesus at Bethany, the entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the cursing of the fig tree, with all that means, the All of it discourse recorded by the Synoptics, the final discourses with the disciples recorded by John, the Last Supper, the arrest, the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, and the embalming and burial of the body by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. After three more days, the events of this week are then climaxed by the resurrection. Knowing what this week contains, as we do we're not surprised to find that it begins with the supper given for Jesus in Bethany, at which Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, anointed Jesus with spikenard, doing it, as Jesus said, for the day of my burial. In actual fact, the burial was still six days away, but This was the moment at which Jesus was symbolically set apart for burial by the only one who really understood what was happening, just as, in a similar way, he was also set apart as God's great Passover lamb on Palm Sunday. Now, John does not tell us all that happened as Jesus began his journey upward to Jerusalem for the final time, but we do know some of the details from the other three gospel writers. For one thing, we know that he did not return to Jerusalem directly from Ephraim, where we've last seen him. If Ephraim was to the north of Jerusalem, as it seems reasonable to believe, Jesus could have returned directly southward, entering Jerusalem from the north. Instead of this, we know that he went east into the Jordan River Valley, south to Jericho, and then upward to the west through Bethany to the capital. In Jericho, he had stayed with Zacchaeus, after the short little man who was a tax collector had climbed a sycamore tree in order to see him. As he left Jericho, he restored sight to blind Bartimaeus and his friend. John does not tell us these things, however. He only tells us that Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. From Matthew and Mark, we learn that this was held in the house of Simon the leper, a man whom Jesus at one time had undoubtedly healed of his leprosy. From the accounts of Matthew and Mark, incidentally, we might suppose wrongly that uh, the supper took place later in the Passover week, but a careful reading will show that John's dating is the correct one. This supper was presumably a celebration for the raising of Lazarus, or, if you will, a thank you supper, and, as such, it was a very brave thing for the friends of Jesus to have done. We remember that the Sanhedrin had given an order that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they should report it to the authorities. To fail to do so would make them more or less what we would call accessories to Jesus' crime. Still. Christ's friends held this supper, and moreover, they held it openly. As a result of it, we know that Lazarus at least was placed in danger, for we read just a few verses later, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. What stuck out in everyone's mind concerning this supper, however, was Not the presence of Lazarus so much, or even the bravery of Christ's friends. What the disciples remembered of this dinner and wrote about long afterward was the act of Mary, who we are told took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. It was an extravagant act. It was not impetuous, understand, because Jesus said to everyone that Mary had been keeping the ointment for some time just for this purpose. In other words, she had been thinking about it in advance. It was not impetuous, but it was extravagant. And this was one reason why it was remembered. We're told that the ointment was worth 300 denarii. That is nearly an entire year's wages for a working man. Another reason why the disciples remembered Mary's act was Christ's revelation of why she did what she did. After Judas, who in this story contrasts with Mary at almost every point, had complained that, well, the ointment had been better sold than the money given to the poor, Jesus replied, Let her alone, for the day of my burial hath she kept this, for the poor ye have always with you, but me ye have not always. Well, this is a marvelous statement that we have about Mary, for it tells us that she knew that Jesus was about to die. He was about to give his life for us on the cross, and Mary knew it. Moreover, she was the only one who knew, so far as we can tell. Jesus had tried to tell the others— Hours before, on the way to Jerusalem, he had told the disciples, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. But the disciples had not understood this. As became clear in their conversation with Jesus later in the upper room, recorded in John 13 and 14, and from their despondent, almost unbelieving reaction to his crucifixion. Only Mary understood, so far as we know, and moreover, she had understood for some time. Now, she broke her box of perfume over Jesus in order to show him that she understood. Well, how did Mary understand these things when the others, particularly the disciples who had been taught so explicitly, failed? The answer is by being often in the place where we find her now. Where is she now? Well, she is at the feet of Jesus, anointing him and wiping his feet with her hair, and Where is she always? The answer is at the feet of Jesus. Thus, we find her there in the story of the supper held for Jesus in her own home, the supper at which Martha busied herself with much serving, as we're told. And we find her at Jesus' feet in John 11 at the time of Lazarus' death. In each case, Mary is at Christ's feet, worshiping him and learning from him. May I suggest that if you do not know much concerning spiritual things, it's undoubtedly because you have not spent much time at the feet of Jesus. Do you want to learn from him? Do you want to grow strong in a knowledge of God's will and ways? Then you must learn from Jesus. You say, but how do I do that? Certainly I can't sit at his feet literally today. No, that is true, but... You can do the same thing, in effect, through studying the Bible. In Hebrew idiom, sitting at one's feet really meant to learn from that person. It was the place of a child learning from a parent or a pupil learning from his rabbi. Today, we do the same thing by studying the book Christ gave us and in which we find him. So, let me ask, do you study the Bible? Do you really study it? Some people would like to know it, but they will not discipline themselves for the necessary work. Years ago, a young boy was riding with a well-known Bible teacher on a train en route to one of the Bible teacher's meetings. The teacher was reading his Bible, the boy was reading the newspaper. Finally, the boy looked over at his mentor and saw what he was doing. Oh, I wish I knew the Bible like you do, he remarked in a complimentary way. You'll never get to know it by reading the newspaper, the teacher answered kindly. Well, the boy got the message, put the paper away, and began to read his own Bible. And in time, he went on to become a widely known Bible teacher in his own right. Do you see the point? Not all will become Bible teachers, but if we are to learn anything about Jesus, then The words about Jesus are essential, and we must study them. Will you? Will you study them? I could wish that every one of us might become followers of Mary in this great and important characteristic. There's another characteristic also in which we should be like her. We should be like her in her love. And that even to the point of extravagance. Here we get very close to the real motivation of this wonderful woman, for when we ask why did Mary pour out this very valuable ointment on Jesus, we cannot really answer adequately that she did it just to show that she knew that he was about to die. That was one reason, of course, but Jesus knew that anyway, and she knew that he knew. Now, there was something more. She also did it for something much more simple and yet more sublime. She did it just to show that she loved him, understood his sorrow at what was coming, and wanted to identify with him in his sorrow, even as he had identified with her in her sorrow and in her moments of great joy. Did she succeed in this? Well, of course she did. She had sat at his feet, "'looked into his eyes and seen his sorrow. "'She had said to herself, "'What can I do to show that I love him "'and that I understand what he is doing for us and for me? "'She then thought of her most precious possession, "'her ointment, and she said, "'I'll give him that. "'She had given it, and he, "'as is always the case in such matters, "'he had understood.' In replying to Judas, it is as though Christ had said, Stop annoying the woman, for she alone of all of you has understood what I am about to do and loves me for doing it. Let me ask this question Are you extravagant in your love for Jesus? If you are, you can be sure that he will not fault you for it. He will not accuse you of bad judgment. Will not accuse you of waste or foolishness. That is not Christ's way. That way is the way of the world and of Judas and all who are like him. Christ's way is the way that encourages active faith and, yes, encourages love's extravagance. Are you like Mary or are you like the Judases of the world who criticize those who are bountiful in their love for Jesus? What a contrast there is at this point. Judas's objection to Mary's action contains the first recorded words of Judas in the Gospels. They are a carping complaint. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Mary's first words in the Gospel are a trusting confession. She says in John 11, "'Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died.'" Or again, out of his great greed, Judas eventually sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver, an amount probably equal to 120 denarii. Mary gave Jesus an offering worth two and a half times that amount. Judas kept the bag from which he stole. Mary broke her box in order that all she had might be given to Jesus. Judas sought to turn attention from Jesus. Mary sought to turn it to him. So who are you like? Are you like Judas? Or the one who gave her all for Jesus? Remember, as you think of this, that Mary gave her most valued possession. Your most valued possession will be different. It may be a comfortable home, a successful self-image, maybe a bank account, a pension, a family, or a dozen other things, but whatever it is, the question holds, could you or would you give it for Jesus? Is there a way that you could employ this to serve him or just to show your love for him? Would you let your children leave the standard of life that you've created for them and of which you're so proud to go into Christian work, perhaps even in a distant, unrewarding place? Would you leave everything to go yourself, if God should so lead you? Would you be able to use your substance to send others? But I would be throwing away all that I've worked for, someone says. Yes, in a sense, you would. At least that's the way the world would look at it. But on the other hand, you will be investing in great spiritual dividends with God, For such blessings bestowed on Christ out of love always come home to roost on those who dispense them. You know, we see this in the case of Mary. Mary had broken her box, giving her all. Then she stooped down to wipe Christ's feet with her hair. From her point of view, that was the end of the story. But John adds, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Well, how did it become filled with the odor of the ointment? It may have spread around all by itself, of course. That's possible. But on the other hand, if Mary was also helping to serve, as I have no reason for doubting she was, and if the odor of the ointment was now in her hair, as it must have been if she had wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, then the odor may well have spread from her, with the result that her gift to Jesus, given with no thought of herself at all, nevertheless became the means by which she shared the blessing. I wish you would apply this personally if you are not a blessing to other people. If seeing you does not make them think of Jesus, if your own life seems dry and unprofitable, as many of our lives do at different times, then... Do what Mary did. Get down on your knees before Jesus. Give him your all. Give him the most precious possession in your life, and do it now. Pour out your life before him. If you seek to hoard your life and substance, you will not be a blessing to others, and you will lose even those possessions in the end. You will be saved, as Paul says, but as by fire. On the other hand, if you give him your life, then you will become enriched yourself, and you will inevitably become a blessing to all about you. There's one final lesson in the story, although John does not bring it out verbally. The very end of the story, in both Matthew and Mark, after Jesus has explained Mary's motivation in anointing him, the Savior goes on to say, Verily I say unto you, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Mary's act, you see, was to become a lasting memorial of her love for Jesus. And so it did. What the others did on that occasion has been forgotten. Many of their names have even been forgotten. But Mary, well... Mary is remembered. Indeed, after the passage of 2,000 years, we are remembering her today. So let me ask you another question. Do you want to be remembered? Then do not build monuments. Build love. Do not be stingy with your possessions. Share them. Share yourself. Give yourself away. As Jesus said, Whosoever would save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. And one more thing. Mary loved Jesus and gave her all, but so also did Martha. Let's not forget Martha. She did not give her ointment, She had none to give, I suppose. As I read the story and try to understand Martha, I even suspect that Martha was not the kind of person who treasured perfume or kept it for special occasions, as Mary did. Martha would not have valued the perfume, but she did value something. What did Martha value? Martha valued hard work. That's the one thing we most know about her. We learn that from every context in which she's found. So what is she doing? Well, she is working. She is dealing in perspiration rather than perfume. But she is serving Jesus, and she is not complaining about it as she did formerly. Oh, what a joy to serve Jesus in any form. Ironside tells of an elderly man who had always wanted to be a preacher, but who had no gift for it. He was a successful businessman, high up in his company, but he wanted to get involved in Christian work somehow. So, this man helped to open up a small mission hall in the downtown area of one of our big cities, and there, after the office had closed for the weekend, he would roll up his trouser legs and shirt sleeves, take a bucket of water and a brush, and clean the chairs and the floor. No one in the company knew of his service. Besides, as It is often the case when something is done well, but quietly, no one even thought to ask who did the cleaning. One day, a couple of men from his company went over to the hall on a Saturday to get some songbooks, and they saw him scrubbing. They threw up their hands and said, "'Oh, we never knew you were doing this. You shouldn't do it. We will scrub the floor, or at least we'll get someone else to scrub it.' But the old man objected. "'No,' he said.' Please, let me do it. I want to do it for Jesus' sake. Well, that's exactly it, for Jesus' sake. It's not so much what is done that is important, though there are specific things that need to be done. It's rather that it be done for Jesus, and that it be done by those whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. Now, our Father, we ask you to speak and continue to speak to our hearts through this study. If there are those listening who have not believed on Jesus Christ as their Savior, we ask that they might have no peace until they rest in him, for he's the source of all peace. Upon your own who do believe, may there be a new wonder at his love for us and a new desire to serve him fully as the result of our love for him. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Mary understood what others did not because she spent so much time learning at the feet of Jesus. You too can gain spiritual wisdom by sitting at the Lord's feet and learning from Him by prayer and studying God's Word. If you would like an audio copy of this edition of the Bible Study Hour, call us toll-free at 1-800-488-1888 and request the message entitled, Memorial to a Woman's Love or simply ask for message number 1327. You may also write to us at the Bible Study Hour at Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. This message and additional teachings by Dr. Boyce are accessible by visiting us online at www.alliancenet.org. And when you visit our website, or when you call or write, be sure to investigate and inquire about the many resources available from the Bible Study Hour and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, including daily devotionals, information on upcoming conferences, and in-depth written and audio Bible studies, including a vast number of studies by Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. Again, our contact information, right? The Bible Study Hour, Box 2000. Philadelphia, PA, 19103, call 1-800-488-1888, visit us online at Alliancenet.org. Your prayers, encouraging letters, and financial gifts all enable the Bible Study Hour to continue its outreach ministry. Once more, today's edition of the Bible Study Hour is entitled, Memorial to a Woman's Love, message number 1327. Thanks for utilizing the Bible Study Hour to be a part of your Christian growth. Join us again as the teaching of Dr. James Montgomery Boyce prepares us to think and act biblically.